Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Here we are recording our Love and Affection series, and today we are talking about Star Trek Discovery. Woo woo! Here we are! This is very exciting because it reminds me how pumped I am for the next season of Discovery to come out, even though they haven't started shooting yet. I'm still just very excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's all I could think while I was watching these episodes as well, is just how much I'm losing my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Before the next season comes out. Mm-hmm, pretty much. <laughs> Just so you all know, this episode, as usual, will be rife with spoilers, including the finale of season three. So just be yeah, ready. We are totally caught up and we'll be talking <laughs> about yeah. the entire season. So please finish Discovery if you have not. Yeah. Well, Rihanna, before we really dive in to this series, I want to take a serious turn real quick. I just want to send our condolences and our love to the families of the victims of the spa shootings in Georgia. Mm -hmm. It has been horrific to see everything involved in this situation is terrible. And I also want to make sure that we get our love out to the Asian community and just continue to do our best to stop white supremacy in its tracks. I wanted to just briefly mention this because watching Star Trek and seeing how diverse it is and how hopeful it makes me for the future, it makes me extremely sad to see horrific acts of violence like this committed in the year 2021. I just wanted to just take a quick moment to send my love out because I can't imagine what they are going through right now. Ashlyn, thank you for saying that. I think that in watching Star Trek, you're right, we do get pulled into this bright future, but we have to remember the horrible things that are going on right now and to realize that we have a lot of work to do and we have to band together to defeat the real enemy, which is not control. Or the Klingons. Nope, (laughs) it's white supremacy and it's these toxic views that make some people think that they are better than others we just want to send our love and we hold you in our hearts and absolutely and we got a band together so this is really a call to action as well to work in your community to better yourself and learn more about other people who look and act and seem different than yourself make that time to make yourself uncomfortable in order to further your knowledge of people around you. Absolutely. It's so important to understand that you might have privilege that you are unaware of and to think about others and how they live their lives every single day. So absolutely. Keep watching Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah. There's something that Uh, uh, Michael says that I thought was really important is this is she says that we have to continue to reach out to people because like they say in that hope is you literally the lieutenant says to michael that hope is you you know and i think that that hope resides in every person but we have to keep reaching out to one another and have to continue our connectivity 
it won't get better if we are divided. It's mm-hmm. only going to get better if we take a really hard step and talk to people who we might not want to talk to. So I hope each and every one of you can do your part to continue to push your ideas of love and affection. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is what our series is all about, is showing us how characters connect to each other, but also putting that reflection to ourselves and see how can we connect like these characters? How can we learn from them and go out and make our community or whoever surrounds us better and more productive in really spreading love and affection to everyone. So I just love that we're doing this series. I think that it's really good timing and so happy to be potting with you and to be able to talk about love and affection for these wonderful characters. Yep, me too. I am very excited to dive in. So let us lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to ask you, who is your favorite ship in Discovery? So I, of course, love Colbert and Stamets. I think that they are a fantastic couple, but they've also gone through a lot of hardships. We don't really get to see them be super cute for a while because then Culver dies and it comes back to life and then he's having a struggle. Understandably, (laughs) I'm not trying to belittle his coming back to life struggle. It's tough. (laughs) So that's the only reason that I hesitate to say they're my favorite. But I'd say actually that my favorite ship in Discovery is Detmer and Owokashan. I love the two of them together. I definitely think that the Discovery writers just got to take that final step and have them get together this next season because they're practically dating at this point. They're always together. They're helm buddies. They really support each other. They care for one another. And I just adore them. I think that especially in season three, Owo really helped Detmer through her PTSD and helped her reconcile all of the stuff that they had gone through and the look on Detmer's face when she finds out that Owo is alive at the end of season three. It's incredible. Ashlyn, what do you think? What is your favorite ship on Discovery? Well, you basically said everything I was going to (laughs) say. Except that I am known in the series to ship myself and a character. So for Discovery, I want to ship myself and Captain Pike. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ashley loves the silver foxes of Star Trek. So (laughs) she has a huge crush. Okay, it's not just that. It's not just silver Mm -hmm. fox. It's Anson Mount as Pike. I was just going to ask, like, are you more of a Jeffrey Hunter Pike or an Anson Mount? I'm just Pike as a character. I like every iteration of Pike aside from his sexist comments towards number one. Mm -hmm. I blocked that out. Understandably. I really love the character of Pike. I think he's awesome and he does such an amazing job of splitting the difference between a stern captain and it has a good sense of authority and he can connect so well with his crew which is something you know Saru struggles with so much yeah that's also something he really admires in Pike but otherwise I totally agree with you Colburn Stamets is my dream I love them so much I also think that Adira and Gray's relationship Ooh. is amazing but ultimately I do ship Owo and Detmer as well. (laughs) That's so interesting. I totally thought you were going to say Michael and Book. So I love to hear a different thing than I thought I would hear. Which is the same as yours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really like when we have the same opinions. (laughs) Thrilled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, Ashlyn, we were just talking about Pike, and I think this is a perfect segue. And something that's really exciting for me is the fact that for this Love and Affection episode, we actually had the pleasure of watching three short treks as well as the Discovery episodes that we chose. And the short trek I want to talk about first, if you're game, is Q&A, which completely centers around Spock as tiny ensign Spock coming aboard the Enterprise for the first time and meeting number one, aka Una, and them getting to interact. And it's really such a fun episode of building character and building chemistry. I found a very interesting part of this episode because Spock and number one are stuck in the turbolift waiting for it to start up again. And Spock is allowed to ask any question he wants to number one. And she answers to the best of her ability. I love that at one point he asks, what are the three most salient facts about Captain Pike? Mm-hmm. And so number one lists off these very, very specific details about Pike that you only really would know about a person if you have that first officer captain dynamic. Like I'm sure Riker could tell anyone the three most salient facts about Picard and it'd be the exact same kind of energy, but maybe not the exact same because as much as I want number one to be her own woman and not just be a love interest figure, I did feel a bit of attraction there to Pike. And maybe it's not a romantic attraction. Maybe it's just the fact that she respects him so deeply and that they have such a good relationship that's very give and take. We see this in the series in season two that whenever Una is on screen with Pike, their chemistry is just incredible. They work so well together. So when Spock says to number one, you seem to have observed him very deeply. And she just looks away and she's like, next question. Like She's Mm -hmm. like, we are not going to get into that. I'm not talking about my feelings for him or whatever they may be. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting scene. And I'm wondering what you thought about it, Ashlyn. I love this short trek. It's one of my favorite ones. And I totally agree with you. And I think even going back to our discussions about the cage, number one is one of the people brought to Talos Mm -hmm. to tempt Pike. Yeah. And Majel Barrett playing the role of number one in the cage, I think she did show a little bit of attraction to Pike there as well. The writer of this episode is Michael Chabon, and I think he was definitely fluent in that episode. I briefly want to talk about Michael Chabon because I noticed at the end that this short trek is dedicated to him. And so I thought, oh, did he pass away recently? Or, you know, what's going on with that? And I did a little research and he's alive and well, he's doing all right. Mm -hmm. But he wrote this episode that there was such a big difference between Spock in the episode The Cage and Spock when he started his career with Kirk on the original Star Trek series. Mm -hmm. And so this episode is his fan fiction, basically, about why Spock is so different. Because in this short trek, we see Spock smiling and laughing with number one. Essentially, he argues that Spock took all of number one's personality traits and brought that to his command with Kirk. And so I think this is such a cool short trek because you see a side of Spock that we have never seen before. First of all, we've never seen him be called Ensign Mm -hmm. ever. Even in the reboot movies, he's never an Ensign. We've only seen him as lieutenant or lieutenant commander Uh later on so that's beautiful but we also see him so vulnerable 
with number one and we see this beautiful side of him that I think she can only bring out and I love her advice also at the end of the short trek where she says she doesn't want to stop anyone from showing their differences because Starfleet is built upon the differences of others and mm-hmm. how important that is and so she's like don't conform but if you're going to be in command you have to keep your freaky to yourself and Spock is like I've been doing that all my life and she says so have I mm. so I thought it was just a really cool connection that they have between the two of them and it's the start of a really beautiful relationship that I hope we get to explore more in Strange New Worlds. Yeah, this is such a great way to lead us into this atmosphere that I think we're going to get in Strange New Worlds and I also really enjoyed that scene. I think that their chemistry is really important because they're going to be building a crew together on Strange New Worlds and we're going to see Spock number one Pike dynamic in Strange New Worlds really come to fruition. That's going to be very interesting to unpack but also I think you're so right seeing Spock so carefree in this and they get to sing together and Una also gets to be carefree. That's just not like either of them and so it's really really fun to see them let their guard down and then she's like we will never talk about this again. (laughs) Shut it down. Yeah but they share little looks at the end of the episode when he's on the bridge. Can I also say that I heavily relate to when Pike says at ease Ensign and Spock says that is difficult for me. Yes. I am like literally the same way. So I was like, yeah, me too. So I love that. <laughs> um, I, yeah. And they're singing Gilbert and Sullivan, right? Isn't that okay, just a classic yes. Star Trek thing? Well, so this is what I wanted to bring up too. Yeah. Gilbert and Sullivan is just littered all around Star Trek. Yeah. But sing, walk, we sing. actually, we've seen somebody sing Modern Major General before. And that's yeah, Jordy, Jordy in the episode Disaster mm-hmm. when he's hanging out with Dr. Crusher. And in that same episode, Picard is stuck in a turbo lift with some kids. And so, you know, Star Trek is... Oh my god, is, it's like an yeah. Easter egg almost. So again, yeah. Michael Chabon, thank you Genius. for this beautiful, beautiful short trek. I never knew that everyone in the 23rd century would love Gilbert and Sullivan so much. <laughs> <laughs> Timeless? Question mark? <laughs> I am convinced at this point that at Starfleet Academy, there was like a drama section and they just did only Gilbert and Sullivan oh and god. Shakespeare play. Yeah, that's canon. Only. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like their revival list. They're in their revival period. Ashlyn, <laughs> so. yep, you just made it canon for me in my head. I'm going to say this, and you've heard it a lot on the Dura Sisters podcast. It's called When Ashlyn and Rihanna Say Love Letter All the Time. Because <laughs> this next short trek is truly a love letter to Star Trek. And I'm talking about Ifram and Dot. Is that how you say that? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Um, I don't really know the name of this tardigrade, but I assume her name's Ifran. We know that Dot best. is the little bot that helps on pull repairs and shipwide repairs. We actually get to see a version of Dot save Owokashan's life at the end of this Discovery season three. So yes. like we get a lot of cool appearances of Dot throughout the years, but essentially it's kind of Discovery oriented. And this of course is talking about the Tardigrade, which was introduced in Discovery. So yes, it does have an original series backdrop, but we wanted to talk about it on our Discovery Love and Affection episode because it's first of all, really, really cute. 
and yeah. it's like discovery oriented so Ashlyn tell yeah. us your favorite parts about this episode well I love how the story unfolds and we become more sympathetic towards the tardigrade the further that we get into it because at first I'm wondering why is the tardigrade trying to get into the enterprise is Damn, you know you're, you're judging this tardigrade right, well, right away well they said yeah. she had her eggs in the beginning oh well I might have missed it <laughs> Well, I'm only teasing. It's fine. (laughs) You're like, what is this tardigrade doing? I am with Dot 100%. Get it out of there. I wasn't with Dot, but just I was like, okay, but Dot should let the tardigrade in. But once you find out, oh, it's the mom. I don't know. It's just so sweet. I guess everyone else found that out at the beginning. (laughs) Did you skip the intro? He's like, this is a tardigrade. Well, I don't know. I guess it passed me by. Um, No, that's fine. Anyway, yeah, I loved seeing this cosmic fight go on behind we're getting all of these clips from the original series which was really sweet i love seeing sulu brandishing the sword khan is hanging out there we even see the enterprise get destroyed it's really a a big journey yeah when the enterprise was being destroyed and crashing onto the planet i literally went my god bones what have i done You know, sometimes you just gotta finish the quote. And yeah. one thing, because I'm being super nitpicky, in the naked time when Sue is brandishing his fencing sword and he says, No father, or I shall slay you where you stand. He is not talking to Kirk and McCoy, but it looks like Kirk and McCoy are there. It's two random <laughs> incense, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, my only it's nitpick. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but I like they yeah. had tribbles falling out of the ceiling. They had the Tholians. The salt liquor was there at one point in the beginning oh got a lover yeah. so i just thought it was really cleverly done it definitely felt like this short trek paved the way for lower decks in a way because of all the fun callbacks all of the quick things they slip in was very lower decks to me but it also had a cute love and affection theme once dot realized that this tardigrade is a mother trying to lay her eggs dot protects them and saves them all when the ship self-destructs and it's just so lovely and they're gonna start a whole little family together is what the voiceover said at the end yes. which is really cute. I love an unconventional found family and Star Trek is full of them. (laughs) Yeah, especially with characters that start out hating each other and then they end up loving each other. That happens like every single romance on Star Trek. (laughs) Enemies to lovers is Star Trek's favorite trope, so... gotta use it as often as possible yeah absolutely well let's move to the last short trek which is not an enemies to lovers it's just ship to human um (laughs) it's just the movie her in star trek yeah and condensed into 18 minutes (laughs) yes this is calypso and this is a really interesting one because discovery is just chilling and has been chilling yeah i'm very confused about this yeah for a thousand years and so i'm pretty stressed about upcoming seasons yeah i'm like hmm that means they're gonna have to abandon discovery at some point and do you think that's the sphere data yeah it's totally the sphere data because we saw this in season three where saru is trying to figure out how to help the crew and then the lady the sphere data is like show them buster keaton (laughs) and he's like thanks creepy alexa (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm very worried about this but Let's focus more on the sweet parts of this episode. I really enjoyed the movie Her. I like these out-of-the-box love stories. I think that they're really fun to play with, but I know a lot of people hate the sort of AI coming to life, falling in love with a human or vice versa. 
I love it. I think it's a fun trope. I think it's especially something that they haven't explored a lot in Star Trek and an important thing to touch on. And I love this guy who is playing, what's his name? Sneaky? Wait. <laughs> Trippy? <What>? Wait. Um, <laughs> spooky? No. <laughs> um, Chrome? Chroma. No. Chroma. What? Craft. Craft. Because he's crafty. Craft is close to sneaky, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> he said, she said he was crafty. Anyway, I really like Aldous Hodge in this episode. I think that he did a fantastic job talking to Air <laughs> and dancing yeah. with a hologram, which is dancing with a green screen person, essentially. <laughs> I think that that's a really hard role to play. I mean, Tom Hanks and a lot of people have done it in movies and stuff, but it's hard to do it in this condensed format where you're literally just talking to the air. So I just want to compliment him. And I really did start to feel their connection and their bond here. And I felt bad for both of them. They're both isolated. You know, they're both in this transient place in their life. And so I'm glad that they had each other for this brief period. And I feel really bad for the AI at the end. Yeah, I think that he did as great of a job talking to air as Obi-Wan did in Attack of the Clones. Totally. That whole movie he was to clones talking to time. green screen people <laughs> yeah. to air the whole time. Shout out to those amazing actors who can mm -hmm. do that. I thought it was interesting also how behind all of this kind of facade of, oh, they're really getting to know each other, is it love? He's thinking about his family that he left behind and he hasn't seen his son for 10 years and his wife. Yeah. And eventually that is what gets in the way of him kissing Zora. <laughs> it's awkward, but it's a really interesting scene because at the very end when they're finally dancing together you see Zora is really swept up in the magic because he did this whole thing for her he learned this dance he got it all together and right before the peak where they're about to kiss he he thinks about his family and he knows that he has to move on and go into reality so much like Adira and Grey's situation I wish that poor Zora had a body to walk around in and I wonder what that sphere data is gonna do if left alone for much longer. I mean it's gotta be so heartbreaking to have to continue existing. Basically she's sentient. Yeah. Like I would say she's a sentient Absolutely. ship. Kind of like the TARDIS now except yeah. now she can talk. And so now that she's known love and now that he's gone, I'm hoping she can develop in a positive way, but I'm stressed. <laughs> yeah, like this could be a villain origin story that we just aren't aware of yet, so. <laughs> yeah, or like the Discovery crew will find her and be like, okay, now we're all going to work together and save the world again. But anyway. Yeah, I just yeah. have a lot of questions about this, but we can't talk about it right now. So just back to menu. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I'm really glad we got to discuss these short treks because they're an important, yeah, under-discussed part of the Discovery era, shall I say. We will be talking about more of them in the future. So, in different series, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So get excited, get hyped, and we hope to see more of them coming out soon. Yes, absolutely. Now, let's dive into these episodes, and I'm going to list everything that we watched to prepare for this podcast. So, for Love and Affection, we watched Choose Your Pain, Lethe, Magic to Make the Sanest Go Mad, Saints of Imperfection, Through the Valley of Shadows, If Memory Serves, Project Daedalus, Hope Is You Part 1, Forget Me Not, People of Earth, 
and hope is you part two (laughs) thank you yeah we chose these episodes as you will hear in the upcoming pod for specific reasons and one of our reasons for choosing a good chunk of these episodes are for our main consistent couple on discovery which is colber and stamets so our lovely gay boys that i'm so excited to talk about oh i just again want to shout out i'm going to talk about this every time but shout out our first canonic gay couple in star trek that's like not toxic not gay coded yeah not gay coded like (laughs) one of them isn't like flamboyant and like over the top or what would they call it fabulous quote-unquote it's just people and i love that Mm -hmm. and i love the normalcy that it brings in an environment that everyone should be chill with it at this point i almost cursed because i'm so mad like if they're not chill with it by (laughs) discovery era i don't know what has gone wrong but i'm just glad that everyone's attitudes are very chill and that they can just be who they want to be and it feels very natural it's something that is so important for people in the LGBTQIA plus community to see on screen. And we see this with Adira and Gray as well. And hopefully with Owo and Detmer in the future, just saying. And also Mary Wiseman just came out as bi. So the sky is the limit. I feel like everyone could do whatever they want. <laughs> I think soon we'll have Discovery all gay. I'm, yeah. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> like, I feel like every single one of them, there's no problematic straight people on Discovery. So, like, no. Not no. even Saru. <laughs> so, yeah. I also just want to say it is so refreshing to have a new Star Trek show where we have a married couple right away. Mm -hmm. So this is not like in Voyager or Deep Space Nine where we meet characters and we see their relationship develop and then they get married in the later seasons or in the last movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nemesis. These are two characters that are established immediately. And I love so much in the episode Choose Your Pain where we really first see Colbert and Stamets interact for the first time. And initially, you don't even know that they're married. Yeah. You don't even know that they like each other. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You don't know they're in a relationship at all. I honestly, I remember the first time I saw this episode, I thought that Stamets was standoffish to everybody. And he was kind of a loner. He was really rude to everybody in the beginning of Discovery. And I love when... Colbert is bringing Michael down to talk to Stamets about helping the tardigrade and Colbert says to her he doesn't listen to me just so you know (laughs) or like he almost never listens to me just so you know yeah it's literally like Michael says oh I think I can get him to listen to me and he's like teach me how Yes, yes, that's it. (laughs) Which cracks me up. And it's funny because in the moment, we don't know that they're together. So you're just like, haha, that's quippy, whatever. And so then when you realize they're married, I think it's hilarious because Stamets is a very stubborn individual and he will not back down from things. But I think that Hugh is as well. And I think that's why it works. I mean, sure, they butt heads sometimes because they both are just very stubborn. But I think that it helps to push them both forward. Yeah, I'm just surprised and impressed by the level of professionalism that they're maintaining in the workplace. And I think that's mainly the reason why Stamets is a little cold to Culber when they're in a workspace is because he's like, I need to focus on my work. I can't focus on how much I love you. And that has to go in its own (laughs) box when we're in our quarters brushing our teeth. Then he can show it. And a whole side of him comes out that I never saw before. It's soft, gentle. Both of them sort of melt down a little and are a little more soft. And I like that. 
I love that. And it makes me think about all of these other episodes we've seen for this podcast for Love and Affection, where once the two people get together as a couple, they find out that they can't work together because it's too hard. Yeah. And that's a huge deterrent for successful relationships. That happened to Picard a ton of times. That happens Mm -hmm. to Janeway. Our main people can't even do this. So I think that there definitely is a separation between your work relationship and your romantic life. And Mm -hmm. that toothbrushing scene, you know right away how they are as a couple. I love how realistic of a scene it is too because that's just something so intimate and lovely that you do as a couple is sometimes your schedules line up and you can brush your teeth together before bed and it's just such a great time. You can just reconnect, how's your day going and being on the I always want to say being on the Enterprise pretty much every time. (laughs) Literally Um, no matter what show we're in. (laughs) Yeah I'm like are they on Voyager? Are they on Enterprise? I, I don't know. Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, But being on Discovery, I think Discovery is going to always be in high pressure situations. And so it's even more important that two people who are in a relationship have really good communication. Because what Stamets does in that episode by injecting himself with tardigrade DNA Mm -hmm. is really crazy. So And Colbert says to him, well, one tends to worry when they're doomed to love a brilliant, reckless maniac who's willing to risk his life for glory. Yeah. Culper's mad at him and he even says, don't ever do that again. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. He says, you may not care about you, but I do. And I think that's an important thing for Stamets to remember because he is so self-sacrificing and so let's do it for science. Let's do it for the ship that I think he loses track of the big picture. And I can very much relate to this where I'm such a attention detail person that I forget, oh yeah, I have a family and people who love me. And I think that Holber does a great job of pulling him back and showing him the big picture. Like, I love you. I don't want to lose you. Please stop being reckless. Let's find solutions where you, I don't know, tell people what you're going to do before you do it. <laughs> yeah. I think also it's hard for Stamets because this specific subject, like the tardigrade and mycelial network, this has been his thesis and the thing he's been studying for 10 years or more. Yeah. So likely he has been into this research since before his relationship with Colbert even started. We don't know exactly how long they've been married or how long they've Mm -hmm. been together, but 10 years is a long time. So I'm kind of imagining that this is Stamets' life work. And so that would be really hard for me to try to solve your biggest question in your life and you have the opportunity to do it. I would probably do it no matter what everyone else around me is saying. So to be fair to Stamets, this is a tough call. Totally. And thank God he turned out okay. And now he's our pilot pilot for the spore drive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, glad it worked out. I also never realized until this rewatch that Culver is not the CMO. I don't know why my brain never, I guess because we just assume bridge crew main character always has a CMO as the main character, but he's just a doctor who works sickbay and then the CMO is this other amazing woman. So I'm like, cool. (laughs) Yeah, Rihanna, I actually just learned that today from you. Good. I wasn't just me. Okay, I feel better because I was like, oh my god, it hasn't taken me this long to realize. But thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Whew, poor Stavitz and Colbert. They go through a lot, like I talked about in the beginning. And we didn't want to dive into the death episode because we don't want to watch Colbert's neck get snapped. Not a fan of that. No. Just don't, no we don't want this pain. is love and affection. Yeah, this isn't no, pain and there's... suffering. Yeah. 
No. We wanted to talk about the episode where Colbert returns, which is Saints of Imperfection. There's another beautiful friendship in this episode, and that is Tilly and this spore that comes inside of her body in the form of her middle school friend, May. Mm -hmm. And May has passed away several years ago. This is the person who the spore (laughs) chose to appear to Tilly Mm -hmm. as. And they really form a tight connection in this episode. And I love the line at the end where Tilly is saying, our friendship is something that I never thought was possible. We are crossing species, crossing time universes to be friends and to be connected. I love Star Trek for creating this type of friendship. I love their friendship and I think it's something really unique. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought this up because there are a lot of Star Trek episodes that push the boundary of species and what is sentient life, all of that stuff. And I love that Tilly does not give up on her and is not just assuming she's a hostile species or assuming that the monster that they think is hurting them is malevolent. She realizes that it's actually Kolber who is stuck in the mycelial network and the spores are attacking him because it's like a virus. They think that he's a virus and he thinks they're a virus type thing and they're hurting each other unintentionally and so I love that Starfleet is not like nope kill them all they're like no let's help them and when they realize Culber's alive they have a whole new objective especially Stamets because he absolutely loses his mind when he sees that he was alive and he runs off on his own they're under a time crunch as usual and so it's this crazy race against time and luckily they get Tilly and Culber back but I just love the dedication that they have to the crew and to other species to help them we're going to help you solve your problem and then create a bond and a connection. And that's what the Federation's all about, providing assistance and then making these connections. You know, it doesn't even have to be transactional, but it's in this way that is forming relationships. And I really enjoyed that about this episode. It's exactly what you said, Rihanna, at the beginning of our podcast. It's about reaching out. Mm-hmm. And this episode is all about reaching out. Stamets has to reach out to Colber to say, I am real and I'm bringing you home. And Tilly has to reach out to May and say, you have to trust me. I'm mm-hmm. going to save you because I care about you. And I love their pinky promise scene mm-hmm. as well because there is something weirdly sacred about a pinky promise. Something yeah. about that little physical connection that bonds you that says, hey, this is important and I'm not going to break this promise. I love Absolutely. that scene. Of course, Stamets has to come on this mission. Even though we don't know Holber is in the mycelial network, it makes sense that Stamets has to come to the mission because he's the pilot of the spore drive. Yeah. It's so convenient then when Kolber shows up. But I love the things that he uses to ground Kolber in reality. He talks about memories that at this point seem like hundreds of years ago, but they're just everyday occurrences. I love the story of them visiting the art museum and Stamets says that Kolber was reaching out to him instinctively because he knew that Stamets would grab on and they would run around the art museum together. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really, really beautiful way to come back together. And thank God they were able to put Colbert in the transmatter thing and then yeah. he could get a new body. I mean, like, wow, they're <laughs> so really, <laughs> really doing great at saving Colbert. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's such a lovely resurrection. That's actually what Michael says at the end of the episode in her log. She says connection, joy, love, and resurrection. And essentially she's talking about the things that bind us all together. We get to see a lot of discovery through Michael's eyes because she's the main character. She's the most main character to ever main character. Yes. (laughs) 
which means that we also get to see her learning from people around her. And I think that she does learn a lot from Colburn Stamets' relationship about devotion and dedication and learning. They go through a lot of trials. And something that Ashlyn and I discussed even before the beginning of this pod, but I wanted to bring up, is that we were talking about how Colbert and Stamets often get help from other people to connect them or to sort of fill in their gaps with each other if they're having a miscommunication, especially around the time where Colbert is having a really hard time adjusting to being back alive. He's not sure his place. And Reno, Jet Reno, whom I love, talks to them both and sort of sets them straight. To Stamets, she's like, give him time. He is still trying to figure out who he is. And to Colbert, Reno is like, yeah, your husband can be a little crazy, but you love him. Like, remember, like, you do love him. You're just going through a lot. She's sort of reminding them of their love for each other and how important that is over anything else because she lost her own wife. And so I think that it's just really important that she has that perspective she knows what it's like to lose someone and not miraculously get them back from a spore drive, you know? I mean, she has to go through this grief every day of losing her partner, and I think it gives them both a slap in the face of like, hey, wake up and appreciate what you have before it's gone. Yeah, that was beautifully said. I am so sad we don't get more screen time with Jet Reno because I think she's yeah, one what of is the with best that? characters. Mm-hmm. I probably have said this on the pod before, but it's kind of like the Simon Pegg issue where Simon Pegg in the Star Trek reboots as Scotty is so fantastic to see on scene. They have to limit the screen time. Otherwise, it would just be the adventures of Scotty and his friends. <laughs> because he's Scotty so funny. Those other guys. Yeah. I mean, so exactly. many of my favorite scenes from those movies are Scotty with someone or Scotty alone doing something yes. crazy because yes. Simon Pegg's amazing. And mm-hmm. I feel the exact way with Jet Reno. If there was more green time, it would be Jet Reno with duct tape saving the universe. <laughs> Let's see that I short trick. <laughs> Um, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I love the scene, especially when Reno is kind of talking some sense into Colbert and reminding him about the little details of his wedding that Stamets was so particular about these elements. Her wife also was very particular about having vegan steak at their wedding and guest lists that were really specific. And so then she says, people like us need people like them. Mm. And that is something that really resonates with Colbert because he realizes it's true. He chose to be with Stamets because Stamets fulfills this other part of him that he really needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm very happy as we go forward in season two of Discovery and on that their relationship only gets stronger from this point. Yeah, agreed. They're just such a great couple and I am excited to see what they do next. We talked about it in our family series, but I'm excited that they're forming a bond with Adira and hopefully they can get Grey into a corporeal form soon and they can all just be a little family. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I think is so unique about Discovery is that the characters that we see most of the time are not purely the senior officers. This is not your TNG, DS9, Voyager situation where the senior officers are playing poker in (laughs) their quarters, all hanging out, and then everybody in the Lower Decks team is doing something else. Discovery is everybody mashed together. We see Pike interacting with Tilly, who's an ensign, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then who becomes first officer. (laughs) Yeah. And Owo and Detmer are both lieutenants, I believe. Everybody has all these various rankings, but they still have such a close relationship. 
And this crew really goes through a lot. Seriously. I mean, some of them transfer. Some of them started on the Shinzo, like mm-hmm. Screw and Michael, and came with them to Discovery. And then were under Lorca's command, traumatizing as that was, For and the real. Klingon War. And then everything that happened with Spock and the signals. And then they time traveled to the future and left everything behind. I don't think even Voyager was quite as close as this crew. Yeah. And you mentioned that this is a Michael-centric series where she really is the main character. And so I love as the seasons unfold that we get to know these smaller characters more and more. We really know them by season three. Yeah, in the beginning of the series, this is kind of the complaint I first had, which is now one of my favorite aspects of it, is exactly what you said, is that I feel like I didn't know a lot of the bridge crew. And on practically every other show we've seen, we get to know them like right away by episode one. They're like, here's Mayweather, here's Depole, here's Archer, here's Trip. like here's all your main players. Here's where we're gonna be going and these will be the top six or whatever people to follow. <laughs> but in the first episode of Discovery, we have a completely different crew. Half of them are dead by the end <laughs> of episode one and yeah. episode two. The ships change, the captains keep changing. Like I thought we were gonna have Non for longer and like she did stay into the future, but she didn't stay on Discovery. We had a random security officer who got eaten by the tardigrade. <laughs> it's just like crazy the amount of change-ups and people that they have, but I think it honestly is more realistic to how it would actually look on a starship. Not that I know the formula of what Starfleet is like, but I feel like there are a lot of transfers, a lot of deaths, a lot of things that go on even within the people working on the bridge. And so for the longest time, I was calling Reese that communications guy or Bryce like that weapons guy or whatever. I didn't even know Detmer or Owo's names until Pike asked them for their names when he was like, okay, let's sound off everyone tell me your names. It was the first time and it's season two. And so at first I was really annoyed by this because I wanted to get to know everyone right away. But I think honestly, it's something I really appreciate now because it feels like more of a reward that I get to know them through these snippets. One of my favorite scenes, tiny, tiny scene that has very little consequence to the plot. It's when there are a couple people in the mess hall playing the auto antonym game. And we've got Stamets, who's brooding about Colbert. And then we've got Detmer, Owo, Linus. Is that his name, Linus? Yeah, Linus. I love Linus. I think he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I think Reese and Bryce are there. And so there's like Arium, kind of, I think, yeah, too. Yeah, I think Arium's yeah. there. And so it's really fun to see them just joking around and laughing. And we also get to see it in the episode Magic to Make a Saint, The Sanest Man Go Mad, or <laughs> whatever <Right>. the <laughs> title of that episode is. It's so long. <laughs> All of these titles are so weird. Oh no, yeah. it's magic to make the sanest go mad. Oh, okay. The sanest wow. go mad. Yeah. That's so the mud one. Yeah. That yes, that's the one with Harry Mud, which is a, such a good episode. But we get to see them at an actual party. We're not talking a concert <laughs> where everyone's playing their cello. We're not talking a <laughs> poker get poker match. We're not talking they're at the Davo table. No, they're having a rager. <laughs> like, like you can see the lights bumping and hear the music going from outer space so like that is really something and it's fun to see because I feel like this bridge crew is a lot younger than what we see in some of the other crews and so I'd say they're probably and maybe it's just because I'm identifying with them but I feel like a lot of them are in their like mid-20s or like early 30s you know and so they really do have that like younger person energy not that older people have us you know like they not that they cannot get down and party (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) 
anyway, I just find these scenes to be really fun because I saw these two ladies dancing together. I'm like, ooh, like there's more gays on the ship. I'm spotting them everywhere. Like they're yes. interspecies. There's a lot of like species dancing with each other and having a blast. And Tilly's getting drunk and like setting up Michael with Ash. It's just a really fun these moments where they get to be carefree and we start to get to see them bond, even if it's just in the mess hall or if they're running together on the ship, um, training together, even when they're on the bridge and Pike's cracking jokes. I just love the community that we get to feel it. They don't tell you how to feel, they just show you and then you get to feel any way you want to feel about the bridge crew and about this crew that we start to learn more and more about. But anyway, that's my long tangent of saying that I really love these connections that they're forming with each other. And I am just so excited that we get to see that more happen in the future. We still get more to see them bond. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I totally relate with you about seeing that party scene. And I do think it is a younger crew and cast than we've had before. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of Lower Decks episode where they throw a party. Yeah, the cha-cha um, dance. And it's, yeah, the cha-cha <laughs> dance. It was a similar, similar parties, I thought. But yeah. I also got a little sad honestly because we're more than a year into covid and i would do almost anything to go to a party like that mm -hmm. you know i'm just throwing it out there please get vaccinated i want to go to a cha-cha dance yeah, party they so the bgs i was like that is classical music like, yeah that's amazing like, no one knew how to get down more than the 20th and 21st century so yeah, apparently yeah. they gotta just keep hitting those jams <laughs> Yeah, so I love also what you said about them showing us and not telling us about these friendships. One of the episodes I think that does that the best, and some people I know are going to disagree with me because mm -hmm. I've already fought with this with yeah. some other people, but Project Daedalus, and this is of course the famously tragic one where we lose Arium at the end, mm -hmm. and a lot of people said that the friendships that we see with the rest of the crew is too forced in because they want to make us feel sad about Arium dying at the end. But I think they were taking this time in the middle of season two to say, we gotta start connecting this crew more. And so let's use this death as an anchor for them um, to really get closer together and to be able to support each other even more. And so there's these really precious memories. The episode begins with Arium going through and we learn that every week she has to go through and delete or save her memories or archive them. And I can imagine how difficult this would be. I mean, I have a smartphone and I never back up <laughs> anything. <laughs> I never go through my pictures and videos and say, oh, delete my 20 repeats I accidentally took. I never do that. <laughs> I mean, even Tilly said, I envy you for getting to delete your bad memories. And she's like, you wouldn't like the process so much if you have to do it every week. I'm like, that's yeah. a good point. And she has to literally watch through. Some of them, she's just is like walking down the hall. She's like, delete. I don't need that. But some of them are probably hard and hard to face. But yes, sorry, continue. I just wanted to yeah. add that in. I just wanted to thank the writers for creating a character like Ariam because she's not like a Borg or she's not a rescue Borg like Seven, but she's also not like Data. She's not a full android. Mm -hmm. She is a human with it a lot of cybernetics, like Three pretty much for all augmentation. of her. Yeah, exactly. And so this is someone in, you know, our society where we don't have the technology to save someone with that amount of injuries, but she would die or just be 
you know, treated terribly Mm -hmm. or just not be allowed to exist in our society. And so it's amazing that that technology exists and that she is able to serve on this fantastic crew. So, you know, diversity, good for everybody. Yeah. But... I love these memories that she's choosing to save. Most all of them have Tilly in them. Yes. And it's about them playing, it's not Dabo, right? Which Kataskat. Yeah, they're playing Kataskat together, or they're just hanging out together during lunch. It's just, it's so sweet. Yeah, and there's one that's just gorgeous, one memory where Ariam is looking out of one of the ports, one of the ship ports, uh, and then she turns and looks at Michael and Michael just smiles at her and has this like wonder in her eyes. And it just, to experience those subtle moments, I think is what Discovery sometimes does the best is in their subtlety. And that's, I think, a lot of the reasons why people don't like it. Cause they're like, just tell me what you mean. Why are you throwing in these random memories of a person we've never met or hardly ever seen on the bridge? But I think they're important because it shows she's not just a face on the bridge. She's someone who has interacted with all of these characters we love. What makes it so sad about this episode is that we're robbed from really getting to know her and it makes it feel worse. It makes me be like, I should have been paying more attention to Arium. I didn't even know that she was gonna be this quote-unquote key player but it's not in the way that matters to the plot of course it does but it matters more emotionally to the characters and I think that I of course respect people's opinions and I think that it's fine if you don't like this episode because it feels forced but I will cite a million other Star Trek episodes that have an incredible character who only lasts one episode and dies by the end and you're completely irrevocably attached to them for the rest of your life so don't knock it too hard I think that yes sometimes those characters come from outside the ship or the station or whatever and so it makes sense that they're like bonding but like we had even lower decks the episode in tng using this exact principle of we're going to show you someone who's you probably like have never actually seen but they're on the enterprise and we're going to give you a whole episode of them and you're going to be in their world entirely and so i think it's important because like you said it also provides for a different perspective yeah the writing is just brilliant for this i really i cannot go through this episode ever without crying i've tried i tried during this rewatch i'm like uh-uh not gonna shed a tear and then i absolutely shed many tears <laughs> oh this yeah i never come out alive um, <laughs> <laughs> after seeing this episode i think also what makes it especially convincing to me is Sonequa Martin-Green's acting Mm -hmm. in that scene. I mean, overall. Also, by the way, we're recording this on her birthday, so happy birthday. Yes, Um, happy birthday to the literal queen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know Grudge is a queen, but like also... That's true, she's a queen. It's Sonequa, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think her acting is so unbelievable, so beeping amazing Mm -hmm. that I break down every time. And oh, yeah. I can't even, let's not talk about it because it's too sad. Um, I mean, I do want to talk briefly about the moments leading up to her death because that's also super important once Tilly figures out mm. what's going on with Ariam. I also think that Mary Wiseman's acting in this is phenomenal because she's crying on the bridge. Then she's like, please, I want to try to get through to her. And so she is able to, I mean, at least she can't stop her movements, but she can give Ariam her speech back just by sending her her memories and being like, she knows that she, that Ariam adored Tilly and that Tilly adored her and so that connection is so important and I just wish it would have worked you know I really wish that it could have gotten through to her in this way that wasn't possible and 
It's also really important and subtle, but Reese comes over to Detmer's station and stands next to her, puts his arm around her while all this is happening. And that I think is also really significant because he's like, I can't just like stand at my station and watch this happen. Like I need to be closer to my friends so we can get through this together because it's horrible. They have to listen to this on the view screens. They're doing their jobs, but they're having to watch their best friend die and like have another one of their best friends have to do it, even though it ends up being Nan who opens the airlock. I just, oh my god, it's so devastating, but also just a show of how connected they are emotionally to each other. I think that this crew is capable of such emotional intelligence that is really staggering. It's beautiful to witness, and it's really refreshing to see them all get to emote when they need to and to be there for each other when it happens. It's just beautiful. This is a crew that has gone through a Starfleet Academy who had an awakening and made everybody go to therapy (laughs) (laughs) before letting them into Starfleet or or letting them like command big ships. Yes. Although somehow they degraded from that in the quote unquote 80s, like Lower Decks talks about, where they don't go to therapy. But yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But right now, very woke. (laughs) Yeah, and oh, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of yeah. Anyway, I want to go into it, but it's off topic. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important scene, and I think this also marks a turning point for the season as well because. We watch as Michael is not able to open the airlock to release Arium. She's not able to do it. And Mm -mm. Michael's arc so far, the whole, this whole show has been that she's losing people that she cares about over and over and over again. And it's sometimes her fault. And this time she does not want it to be her fault. She can't deal with losing someone she cares about Mm -hmm. because of her Mm -hmm. again oof ouch poor michael and so the thank god non was able to do it what a badass she's incredible you're totally right rihanna it's so sad that tilly speech is not able to save her because that's kind of a star trek trope where a character has a noble speech and everyone feels happy and then the day is saved Mm -hmm. that is not the case in this episode and this is when they realize that control is real control was able to take arium and completely destroy her life and kill her and Mm -hmm. was about to kill the entire ship and the entire fleet yeah so this is not an enemy to take lightly and Mm -hmm. losing arium was really important for them so they would understand that yeah absolutely terrible devastating yeah uh um Mm. so the crew they continue on this crazy journey and then in the beginning of season three they've jumped into the future and there's one scene i know rihanna always cries through (laughs) listen i feel very emotional about this tree okay so we were talking about the scene in people of earth where they go back to earth and starfleet is still there starfleet academy is still there but it's not really operational at this point nothing's going on earth is under tight lockdown they are not accepting really anyone into earth because after the burn everything went so terribly that everyone sort of closed themselves off and so i think the context for this episode is really important because since the discovery crew jumped into the future with michael they have only faced rejection and people telling them starfleet's dead your dreams are dead they're being told over and over again not who you think she is yeah Yeah. michael's spent a year without you becoming a new person changing a lot and so and i'm sure some of them feel left behind i mean they even 
uh, I can't remember who, but someone was talking about how anniversaries, funerals, birthdays, they missed all of these things by so many years. All of their family they ever know and love is gone, let alone the Federation, which is like a second family to a lot of people. And so this is so much trauma and stuff they have to deal with that when they go to Earth and go to Starfleet Academy and see that this tree is still standing that has been standing for decades, for generations. Tilly says, I used to study under this tree at the Academy. And everyone in the group is like, yeah, me too. Or like we would play games in the quad by this tree. And it's something that is so beautifully subtle and seemingly insignificant, but means so much for the hope that they get from this. And I just love that this tree is a symbol of hope and that some things remained and that like together all of them can get through this and they all had this shared experience. I think it was Reese or Bryce who said it's incredible that we shared this experience 900 years apart I you know was, I think it was Owo or Owo or no, maybe it was no it was Reese it I think was it was Reese. Reese yeah and so I love that sentiment of we may be disconnected on like a temporal level <laughs> but this tree can connect us to the past and to these really good memories and show that something's still standing I just love it and I always cry at that scene so fight me <laughs> this I love this too and just a short tangent it really makes me think about San Francisco also because if you've ever been to Mere Woods or walked through any of the Redwoods really anywhere in California it's really unbelievable yeah I, I saw General Sherman this summer which it is the largest known tree on earth it's estimated to be about 2,000 300 years old or it could be as old as 2,700 years old wow so I mean this tree is like older than Jesus <laughs> <laughs> that's saying something yeah so just think about that and so yeah I think that scene is really important and it just reminds us like what's so great about earth too our home is wonderful because she's um, she's beautiful and amazing and has the ability to sustain life for such a long, long period of time. So yeah, that it's a beautiful scene too. And thank you for sharing your emotions about it. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Thank you. I have one more tree tangent. It's not very long, but yeah, uh, you were, do. Yeah, you were talking about the redwoods. So Ashlyn and I used to live in San Francisco and we visited Mere Woods together. And then a few years later, I studied abroad in New Zealand and I was in Rotorua and we went to the only other place in the world where the redwoods are. And so while we were there, the tour guide was like, hey, do you guys know where the other redwoods are? And I'm like, yeah, it's like my backyard. And so I love that there can be this literal earthly connection to nature. And it really bounded me to those two places. I've, I've been to both of the like redwood sanctuaries on earth. Oh, and yeah. that tree really and tied those Starfleet people together. <laughs> in a couple months, once the COVID restrictions are starting to lift a little bit more, we're definitely going to post a picture of Rihanna's tree tattoo, which she will get at some point because yep. she loves trees so much. <laughs> yeah, I love trees. I cry about them a lot. They're amazing. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, be waiting yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to post maybe with little stick figures under the tree. Um, yeah, a little by Starfleet the bridge. Is yeah, <laughs> the tree. <laughs> Well, before we continue with some of our romantic relationships, I just briefly want to talk about 
two sets of friendships that are so important to the show. And the first one is Michael and Tilly. Mm -hmm. They are bunkmates after Michael is brought on Discovery. And it also is, Tilly is kind of annoying at first to Michael. She talks a lot. (laughs) She's just herself so much. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can't handle Tilly. But I love, especially in the episode uh, Lethe, where they have teamed up. They've become closer friends. And Michael and Tilly are running around Discovery training. And Michael is pretty Vulcan-like in this scene. Mm -hmm. And she's very, she's just telling Tilly, you have to break your record. You have to have a path for yourself. You have to, you have to establish yourself as being unique and excellent. And I really like Michael's advice. I mean, this Starfleet is a place to climb the ladder, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a very clear path ahead of you. And if you want to achieve command, you follow what hundreds of other captains have done, admirals. Mm -hmm everybody but at the end of the episode we see that michael has totally shifted her advice and she finds tilly running around discovery and says you know what tilly (laughs) never mind there's a million paths to finding your own command and i think you should find your own and tilly says i have so Mm. i love the relationship and throughout all of Discovery, they are such a pillar of friendship to the point where they trust each other with their lives. They're the closest of friends. I mean, when we talked about the episode where Tilly was stuck in the network with May in Saints of Imperfection, Michael is absolutely devastated when she learns that Tilly has been sucked. Well, she thinks Tilly is dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is running to engineering and she says, make way, you know, yeah. every everybody in the crew parts. And I just think of that for myself. There's only a couple people I would yell at to get out of the way because I have to see my best friend. Absolutely. Michael is pretty much useless when Tilly's in danger. She tries to keep it together and it's really hard because I, yeah, I don't know how you could continue to function as an officer when your best friend is in another dimension. <laughs> it's tough that's, out that's, here. That's rough, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to say about the episode Lethe you were talking about that I find really significant is the reason that Michael changes her viewpoint is because of the experience she went through with Sarek. And we talked about this in our family episode, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but it does show Michael's emotional growth in this episode. And I think it's because she has someone like Tilly in her corner. And we talked about how Tilly was the first one to bring up the fact that Sarek put a lot of pressure on Michael as a kid to choose a certain path. The whole reason she chose the Vulcan Science Academy was to please Sarek and to try to take the path that he wanted for her and to take this path that he wanted for Spock. (laughs) So I think that this is such a beneficial relationship and it's not like all friendships have to have these, you know, great benefits or it has to be this transactional thing, but I think that they really do help one another grow in these beautiful ways because Michael is so down to earth and very logical and very cool under pressure that she can sort of guide Tilly with that coolness. She's like, get roasted tomato salsa. It is better (laughs) for your enzymes or whatever. (laughs) I love that because she's not like, no, Tilly, don't get the salsa at all. Be healthy 100%. She's like, no, here's a healthy alternative that's still delicious. (laughs) So little things like that that are really 
important for the two of them because then in turn Tilly helps her to like have more fun she tries to set her up with Ash as we talked about and she is kicking her under the table to shake Ash's hand in this episode and um trying to get Michael to connect more with the people around her Michael admits to her I think you're my only friend this is something that she I don't think Michael even anticipated of having especially after her mutiny she probably expected she would never make a friend again I think that Tilly believed in her right away knew who she was right away and just accepted her for who she is and met her at face value and I just love that the two of them are so authentic around each other even if they have to be a certain way or perform a certain way for other people they can truly be themselves with each other and that is essential for both of their growth because otherwise I feel like they just really complete each other in a way that is so beautiful to watch especially going into season three when things are really shaky for Michael. Tilly is still there at the core. I mean yeah she does tell Saru you have to tell the admiral what happened because Michael disobeyed your orders but I think that honestly Michael respects that and is like yeah I mean I know I didn't obey orders and I will probably get a slap on the wrist for this or whatever but anyway I just want to shout out their friendship but I'm really glad you brought this up Ashlyn. Yeah, I think I just totally agree with everything you said, especially that they see each other so authentically. And I think a huge part of that is the very beginning of their relationship because Michael comes on board as Michael Burnham, the mutineer. Yes. She has a full title. Mm-hmm. She's super famous. Everyone knows who she is. Mm-hmm. And they all define her with that one thing, that she's a mutineer. And so Tilly has to sleep in the same room as the mutineer and she sees how hard it is on Michael and that Michael is not just one thing. Michael is a million things and realizing for Michael that somebody could see something else in her other than that she was just a mutineer was so healing for her and so helpful. Well, actually, technically, Lorca was the first um, (laughs) because he brought her on board, but that's only because he uh, needed to use her. Yeah, he was just using her like a tool, (laughs) like the rest, like the tool he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the tool he is. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Somebody else who knows Michael very, very deeply, even from her time on the Shenzo, is Saru. And interestingly, Saru, Tilly, and Michael have kind of a really interesting trio dynamic Mm -hmm. where Saru becomes very close to Michael throughout the three seasons, where he goes from completely distrusting her and yelling at her when he has temporary command of discovery, basically confines her to quarters again. Yeah. Because he's still working through his anger at her because of her actions on the Shenzo, which um, is totally fair. Yeah. Because, yeah, that mutineer thing was kind of bad. It's a lot Um, of trauma (laughs) for him to go through, and I think it's hard for him to trust, especially when he's still got his fear ganglia, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and he sees her as a predator, and he says that, that, you know, you're the predator, and every action you take confirms that for me. Mm. Um, So then it's, it's interesting, once Pike is on board, Saru is in this first officer position, yeah, their their relationship is so important and they have a very, very deep connection. I think the episode where Saru believes he's going to die because he's going into Viharai and Saru asks Michael to be with him at the end and to cut off his little ganglia. Mm-hmm. And so what a huge transition for them to go from enemies back to friends back into really close friends and I think Saru really relies on Michael's advice in his position as first officer because she had so much time as first officer to Giorgio 
Yeah. And he even says that he's jealous of how much time that Michael got as a first officer. And he always wanted his time to come. And now that it's here, he's scared to do it. So then in season three, once Michael is kind of going through a whole nother thing, Saru, I think, is lost also, just like Michael is lost because he lost someone who is so important to him, his confidant on the ship. Mm. And then Tilly kind of fills that role for him because she knows Michael so well and she knows the whole crew so well. Oh, I love Tilly so much. She's just grown and blossomed into this beautiful character who goes from ensign to first officer, something yeah. that only the amazing Captain Kirk has done <laughs> in an alternate timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I'm really glad you said this. And I just had a theory. It's a little off topic, but I'm going to root it back to what you said about Saru. But I think honestly, the reason why, and this might be super obvious, but it's just dawning on me, the reason why it's really hard for the crew to connect and why we feel so disjointed with the entire crew in the first season is because of Lorca. He's a very dangerous element who is always pushing them apart from each other. We see in these episodes where... He's like, you guys have to do better. He's running these tactical drills on the bridge. Everyone is tense and stressed. And so when I see Saru in this first officer role, he's first officer then, right? I'm not yeah. crazy? Okay. Yeah. No wonder he has so much self-doubt. Because if you have a Captain Gabriel Lorca, who is a literal mirror universe counterpart who is coming to literally wreck your life. <laughs> that is his intention, is to wreck everybody and only do things that are of his own volition but he's under the guise of being this strong-headed, great captain, that creates so much mistrust amongst everyone. And they're always in these tense battle situations that they're only thinking about the war for this whole year or however long it takes before they get stuck in the parallel world. And so I just have to acknowledge the fact that this is another hurdle that Saru had to overcome and that the crew themselves had to overcome. And I think that Pike is such a healing element for them. And I think that he really shows the crew the importance of camaraderie and of working together. And I think that's really when they can start to become a unit and an actual crew and a family. And I think that that's when we see Saru really, really shine. I mean, he is an absolute star in season three. Like, I cannot take my eyes off Saru in season three. I think he's fantastic. He's just such a caring, considerate man, but also will get the job done and will also listen to Starfleet in the process. It's hard to do all of those things as a captain. And we've seen captains straddle this line all the time of, should I listen to Starfleet or should I do the right thing? And he somehow does both mostly because they have the chaotic element of Michael (laughs) to help along. He's the one who really helps to call at the end of season three to get him off that planet. And so he stops causing burns. Like, you know, I mean, he's really healing this poor child who has been abandoned for years and years. And yeah, it's just really cool to see his compassion. Yes, I totally agree with you. Discovery's so crazy because we're going to have one captain per season. And that is wild. That's such a break from the mold for Trek. And I love to see it. I'm here for it. Let's go. We got Captain Michael coming up. Um, But I was also, I was just going to say that the differences because i watched a lot of these episodes out of order like not in order of release but just by character Mm -hmm. and it was so jarring to go from pike to Lorca back to back because the crew it's so different compared to which captain they're serving under i totally agree with you 
about that. And it, yeah, it was very apparent to me that Lorca's the worst. Yeah, how did I not <laughs> see this? Like my first run through, I was just like, oh yeah, what a cool dude. <laughs> what? Well, it, yeah, because we are just so normalized to to love his, the captain, yeah, and to his brand of conditioning yeah yeah anyway um, that's that uh, hits different so okay so we're talking about pike a little bit and i briefly for the smallest of periods want to talk about pike and vena because we talked about them in i mean so many times we're so lucky to get to talk about them yeah in our podcast we talked about them at the first episode of this series and so i just want to briefly mention the scene where Spock has poor Spock. He's really going through it. He's mm-hmm. being tortured by the Red Angel. He's seeing the future and the past all in one. He was almost tortured by Section Thirty One to have his brain dissected. Michael saves him and Amanda, and then he diverts the shuttle to go to Talos Four. Woohoo! Here Woo. we go. Throw yes, love. And <laughs> throw um, we talked about. Yes, throw forward. Yes. <laughs> we talked about this episode from a family perspective on our family series, but for this one, I just want to talk about Pike and Vina because we see she appears to him as a vision on Discovery because Pike has to talk to Michael. So she's kind of the bridge and the Telosians are helping her appear to him. And so what we learn in this conversation is really sad. It's that Vina has basically been living with an imaginary version of Pike the entire time since he's been gone. And so she basically deeply loves him and they're like married in their happily ever after. And so when she sees the real Pike and he's scared of her because mm-hmm. he's surprised to see her and he's like, WTF, why are, yeah. why are you on my ship? Yeah, It's very jarring to her. And she has a line, she says, I'm not used to you being afraid of me, which is so sad. Mm. And I think also Anson Mount's acting in the scene is very amazing (laughs) because as she's describing her life with this copy of himself, he says something like, I'm happy for you. And you can see the pain on his face. And he says, I've thought about you all the time since you left and often wish that you could have come with me. You know that Pike is so, so devastated by this to know that she gets a happily ever after and he doesn't and he has to continue facing these hard decisions as a captain we know not forever and i think he's not done the time crystal journey at this point so not he yet. doesn't know yeah so he doesn't know what his future holds but i think it's really beautiful that we know we've seen the menagerie his heartbreak will not last much longer eventually he will have his happily ever after with her so but the scene is just oh ouch cuts deep yeah the acting for both of them i really agree ashlyn took the words right from my mouth it's just it's something new we get to see from pike because we haven't seen the time crystal episode yet it's something refreshing from a departure from his straight-laced attitude as a captain. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a really well-done scene. And what whiplash to just have her appear, and then after five minutes, all right, see ya. Yeah, and at the end of the episode, <laughs> that's, that's it. yeah, she's like, you have to let them go because it's an illusion, and like they didn't actually be Michael and Spock onto the Section 31 ship, but she also says, you have to let me go, and he says, goodbye, Vina. To them, they think this might be the last time they'll ever see one another, and it's very tragic. It's hard to watch, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something um, that's fun about- to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, some sometimes. Um, anyway, um, I want to talk about Grey and Adira. Mm-hmm. That's my best transition I have. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's not them. fun to watch the 
death and <laughs> destruction, but... The death scene was hard for me to watch. Ouch. Um, yeah, so Grey and Adira, they are a very interesting couple because at this point, Grey just exists in Adira's mind, mm-hmm. but he's real. Yeah, any, mm-hmm. anyway, we've talked about this before. We really want them to, like, get a body. Anyway, yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. The episode Forget-Me-Not is... Uh, a great Trill episode for all you Trill fans out there, including Woo. me, yeah. where basically Adira has amnesia about their whole situation, and they have to go to the pools on Trill to connect with all of the hosts. And this is a tradition that everybody does when they're connected with their symbiotes. Mm-hmm. So it's a very painful painful scene to watch because Adira remembers the whole situation about why they have the symbiont in them and it's because they were celebrating Grey's recent joining uh, yeah recent joining yeah Adira (laughs) makes this really special quilt for Grey and it's so cute and it shows all of their time together and how sweet they are and they're discussing just how Ray isn't really different after his joining he's just more of himself it's a really beautiful scene and then something crashes into them gray dies and adira gets a symbiote and it's just so ah it's so sad it's, <laughs> I, yeah well oh. and the thing that i find really heart-wrenching about this scene is the fact that Adira has completely forgotten this. And so they're experiencing these memories for the first time again, almost. And they know that something horrible is about to happen in the memories and they keep pulling away. And Michael's like, no, you have to find it. You have to dig through this pain. I know it's hard, but this will bring you, maybe not peace, but at least the answers that you need. And when Adira finally does remember what happened to Grey, it's also really beautiful that Adira made this choice to take the symbiont. I think that not every human would just be like, sure, stick this worm in me, (laughs) you know? I mean, it's pretty valiant and really a bold and brave move on their part. And I'm just so proud of them for making that choice because it's really hard to then have to experience Grey only through the symbiont and only because they took the symbiont from Grey when he was dying. I find it to be such a noble sacrifice and something that really does bond them. And I think it's the reason that Adira can still see Grey in their memories or whatever the science or (laughs) mind stuff is behind that that we don't really know yet. I also found the fact that they were both orphans really hard. Adira said, we were orphans, but we had each other. Ooh, that also hurts because it just means that they're suffering through a lot of loss. The pain that they have to go through in order to retrieve all of the other hosts' memories from the symbiont is really cool. And also, I love that Michael is there to support them. And I love that Michael is in the solid foundation of which a lot of people can lean on and a lot of people can utilize her amazing brilliance to help them. It kind of cracks me up that Michael is just sort of allowed into this very sacred trail circle <laughs> when they're in the symbiont pool. All of the tall trail union are like, welcome to the circle. And Michael's just standing in the corner like, this is neat. <laughs> but anyway, it just shows how much everyone trusts Michael. And just really great that Adira finally got their memories and is a fully realized human trail hybrid. <laughs> so it's pretty neat. Yes, it is pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up Michael because 
a quote that she says to Adira at one point is, if you don't face what this is, no matter how painful, you'll never move forward. Mm. And this is definitely a quote that Michael probably should have said to herself in a mirror Mm -hmm. because she's in a similar situation where she's facing something really painful and that is reconciling the two parts of who she is. This newfound kind of lawless Michael Mm -hmm. who is just running around doing whatever she wants totally free from rules and regulations and is more human and then balancing that with her Vulcan Starfleet side. I love that she's able to give that advice to Adira and say it's painful and it's work but you have to do it in order to move forward and that's ultimately what helps Adira face that memory that they've repressed. Absolutely. Moving forward and at the end of the season, Gray and Adira go through a little period of separation where Gray is trying to give Adira space because they are only spending time cooped up in the quarters together. Mm -hmm. And Adira's not taking the time to get to know the rest of the crew except for Colbert and Stamets. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for them. So Gray has left for a little bit. Adira is really sad. And then at the end of the finale in The Hope Is You Part 2, we see that Gray has a body and he's real. Adira has not just been like hallucinating Gray the whole time. There's Mm -hmm. proof that Gray is real. And I love that Colbert and Saru get to hang out with him. Yeah, I really hope foreshadowing for what's to come. I think their relationship is great. And I also love seeing a convincing and realistic teenage romance. Yes. Because Wesley's relationships were never convincing to me. (laughs) It's also because they just didn't ever choose the right people to fall for. (laughs) This is true. But I love Jake's dating life and all of this. Yeah. But I also love to see a really serious teenage relationship so yeah they're very very devoted and committed and I love that about them the two of them are just so connected on this way way deeper level it's really cool absolutely all right well shall we go in for this grand finale and talk about the love of our lives yes (laughs) well maybe not ash is not the love of my life but michael is yeah Yeah, I mean, it's important to talk about Ash because he is sort of a stepping stone to better things. (laughs) I feel like Michael does learn a lot about herself and relationships when she is with Ash. The start of Ash's and Michael's relationship is actually really nice and very lovely before he is activated as a Klingon spy and snaps (laughs) necks and chokes her out. It's all bad. (laughs) But before that, it's really lovely because similar to Tilly, I feel like Ash is the only person who is accepting Michael, not just for her past, but for who she is now. And he even says to her, I tend to judge people in the moment. I like that about him. He is very strong in his beliefs, but he's willing to hear people out and to understand them better. I think that's honestly what Michael needs in this moment. She needs someone who's a solid foundation, but who's also a little broken and needs some help and they can heal together. Michael finally gets to see what it would be like to fall in love because we hear in the episode that has that long freaking title, Magic Matt to make the sanest man go mad. Yeah. Michael's greatest secret that she tells Stamets is that she's never been in love. And that's a really important thing 
to learn about Michael and something that she thinks of as her deepest shame or deepest secret. And that makes me really sad. And it's something I think that is a product of her upbringing on Vulcan and a product of her not yet dealt with trauma about her family and about Spock and oh, it's all mess. Well, and the and mutineering. <laughs> even before the mutineering, which is a, a funny sentence, um, <laughs> she is very career oriented and yeah. she's all about the path. So there's no one who's going to stand in her way. Oh, she does not herself. have time for a love life. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She does not have time for a love life. She is very focused. And honestly, I respect that. And I don't think that she should feel shame or should feel like that has to be this big secret. But I mean, for women in particular, there is an expectation that you should fall in love and that it should be pretty early on. People want you to fall in love when you're in like your 20s. (laughs) And I just think that's unrealistic to how people are people and not all one mold of society. But anyway, essentially, I just think that Ash gives her the space to be what she needs to be in the moment and it is a really good thing for her to learn. I can fall in love. I am capable of it and she starts to learn to not close off herself as much. I mean Stamets teaches her to dance so that she can dance with Ash in the next time iteration in that episode. They have a lot of really cute moments of their budding relationship. Dance with me for science. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. Yeah. I love that part. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're just dancing. They realize that, oh, this loop is about to run out and mud's about to explode the ship. So Stamets might as well teach Michael how to dance. Stamets is so important in this episode and is really a key factor into getting her and Ash together. Along with Tilly. Tilly's trying to set them up. Yeah. But... A lot less subtly. (laughs) But Stamets is really the one instructing her saying, you just got to be yourself and you have to trust your instincts. And he tells a really beautiful story about him and Colbert and how they first met. Colbert was humming Cassilian opera, which apparently you can't do because a Cassilian opera singer takes their whole life to learn one performance and then they well, kill and themselves. Well, they have <laughs> way more vocal cords too, so... Yeah, so yeah. probably pretty hard to hum. I mean, I can't hum opera to save my life in general, so I can't imagine trying to hum Cassilian mm-hmm. opera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> they met on Alpha Centauri, which I think is hilarious. They didn't know each other yet, Mm -hmm. and Colbert was just humming it, and Stamets was like, shut up, don't hum it at all, because you can't do it well, or something. And instead of leaving, Colbert just came and sat down with them, and they talked for hours. The cute thing, too, is that Stamets said he sat down right next to me, and that's where he's been ever since. Just so cute! cute. I love that! (laughs) Michael's so confused by this interaction. She literally says, I'm out of my element, and that's something (laughs) bold for her to say. She does not like telling people when she's uncomfortable but she's like whoa I do not know how to do that how do I even think about asking someone on a date or telling them that I like them well and the essence of what Stamus is trying to say is that I was myself and that's what Hugh liked about me mm-hmm. is that I'm always going to be honest and I'm always going to be myself so then there's nothing sneaky underneath because they say what they mean and yeah. that's exactly what Michael needs is somebody who's going to listen to her and who's going to be able to take it when she's just herself you know. 
Totally. I love this episode because it is such a beautiful start for Ash and Michael and it's sad thinking about what ends up happening, but they really do form a connection and there is something to be said about first loves that this is just a relationship that's really hard for Michael to let go of. And Mm. up until the end of season two, we're also kind of wondering if they're going to get back together because Michael goes through a period of not talking to him and totally ignoring him. And then the more that he is working with Section 31 and is becoming more entwined in the plot with the sphere data and discovery Mm -hmm. and Section 31, the more they begin to reconnect because Michael is understanding, okay, you're not a Klingon anymore. You purposefully left Kronos, you're not involved in that situation and you're regaining your humanity. Hashtag mm-hmm. data. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old Star Trek. I really thought that Ash was going to come with them to the future. And I was pretty surprised that he didn't, but I think it was a good move. And so I, know I, was, yeah. I was happy too. Yeah, I was very psyched. Happy to be done um, with him, even though he might be back in Section 31 series, but whatever. For him, I would think this is a perfect fresh start. You know, you go to the future, you can just go afresh. But I think it was really important for him to separate himself from Michael. Yeah. And same with her. She had to separate herself from him in order to move on and yeah. to keep growing. Yeah, exactly. To make way for new love, which she literally crashes into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In make season way. Three. Make way. <laughs> yeah. This first episode, The Hope Is You, part one in season three, is hilarious because of the fact that Michael and Book get off to a rocky start. And again, we've got our enemies to lover trope right here, served on a fresh platter. They sell each other out like three times in this episode, I think. Oh lot and so because it's hard to know who to trust book is not trusting of people around him because of the stuff he's been through i mean this is a crazy world for michael to crash into i think what really has them start to respect one another is the fact that Michael starts to trust Book. And then I think that since Book sees her trust, because Michael, I think that she puts up a front that she's sort of this prickly cat who's distrusting, but no, she is loyal. She is trusting to a fault. She will be there for people. And so I think that that is something that really attracts Book to her is because, wow, this woman will go to bat for me, even though I just sold her out to the Orions. I think that that is something that's really essential for their relationship is that early bond of trust and the fact that she maybe doesn't love grudge but also kind of loves grudge so that's important (laughs) see i love that you just compared michael to a cat because (laughs) (laughs) he loves cats yeah he loves cats i mean case closed Mm -hmm. they're meant for each other (laughs) (laughs) yeah i totally agree yeah i love that the whole time we don't know where book stands on his morality scale at all and so at the end of the episode when we find out he's incredibly empathic he actually kind of reminds me of a serious black type character where Mm -hmm. his whole family are terrible people they're killers Mm -hmm. and they're poachers you know he's just someone different and he says every couple generations someone like me turns up and i just have to be who i am yeah i think of that very similar to serious black and harry potter also kilua in hunter hunter yeah sometimes you have to fight the nature of your family (laughs) yes yeah in that situation yeah yeah and i think that the important thing too is that michael sees that in him she sees his empathy she sees 
how devoted he is to the things he loves, including the little trans worms and grudge and his animals in his life and how he has such a strong empathic bond with creatures that need his help. I think that that is really endearing equality, especially for a man who, I mean, I don't know because I don't date men, but I, I, I think that it would be difficult when men put up a front of this stiff upper lip macho guy. And that is not the kind of person that Michael is interested in. She's interested in someone who will emote and show their feelings and be authentic with her. She's not looking for casual relationships here in this 900 years in the future. <laughs> She's not really looking for relationships, period. But I think that it's something that they sort of tumble into together and they spend an entire year together before Discovery shows up. I really, really wish we had more flashback scenes of this year that they spent together because we get little glimpses of them. He has a casual aside to say, oh, is this like this planet? And she's like, yep, it's gonna be exactly like that. It's like cute little things that make me feel like I'm on the outside of an inside joke and I wanna hear more and I wanna know more about their relationship in that year. But I do love to see it grow, especially when Michael goes to save him in Scavengers. She breaks all protocol to go and save him. Yes, he has the black box that will help tell about the burn, but it's mostly about Book or a huge element of why she wants to go is to save Book. She is so devoted to a fault and that is what makes them such a good couple is because he is too. And damn, do they just go to bat for each other every single time. I just love to see a couple where they're equals. They both are incredibly badass. They can really kick butt and fight against these really powerful people. Yeah. They're really smart. They're really connected with each other. And I was so surprised that during this year together, they had not started dating. They were partners. They were teammates, but they were not in a relationship. I love at the end of Scavengers, they have their turbo lift moment where first Linus interrupts right before (laughs) they're about to kiss. And then as soon as he leaves, Michael's trying to explain, we have these new transporters were so confused yeah. and books like just kiss me yes <laughs> i love a good transporter makeout session you know mm-hmm. essential star trek content here <laughs> yeah absolutely i love the relationship and i love to see michael in a healthy place you yes. know it's so exciting and i love seeing her journey that now she is captain at the end of this season because she deserves it so much and she has done the emotional work that she needs to do to have this type of responsibilities and she's been reprimanded so much she knows their crew the system so well both the good and the bad so I'm excited to see that she's also going to have this amazing person at her side. And we also have someone else to help run the spore drive if Stamets is losing it. So (laughs) yeah, she trusted him enough to be like, we're going to blow up unless you can use the spore drive off of nowhere after being tortured, (laughs) running on literal adrenaline through his body. How's that adrenaline? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. This is really trial by fire, but Michael trusts him enough to know that he can get the job done. And he trusts her enough to know, hey, if Michael blows believes in me, then I better believe in me. (laughs) Because if Michael Burnham believes in you, then you're gold. (laughs) So I think the healthy relationship thing is really just my favorite. Chef's kiss. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, Rihanna, what a lovely episode of Discovery for Love and Affection. I want to take the moment here at the end of the episode to officially announce our next series because we are only about three episodes or we're two episodes away from finishing the series. And we we will then be starting our next series, which will be time travel. Woo! So 
we will be discussing pretty much all the time travel episodes that are human based so not about an anomaly or anything it's like when humans choose to go back in time or when another human chooses for them to go back in time Yes, yeah, and we're going to be including movies in this because... Yes, we are. Don't you know, there's a lot of time travel movies, Woo! so... <laughs> it's almost half time travel movies mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, I'd say um, so, with the Kelvin timeline, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so please enjoy, and I hope you will tune in and continue listening with us as we finish out our Love and Affection series and then move on to time travel here in about three weeks. Woo! Oh, yes, oh, yes. And Ashlyn, I want to thank you so much for choosing this epic, epic theme. That's going to be so much fun. I am over the moon thrilled about time travel. Rihanna is over the moon and I am slingshotting around the sun for this series. (laughs) (laughs) So you can watch me be over the moon again. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. I love that. So as we part from you today, I would like to end with a quote from the legendary Michael Burnham. She says, we all want a future that's real, that matters. And so I implore you all to each day work on a future that's real and that matters. And that means connecting with people. That means not judging people by the way they look or their culture, but accepting people. And it means getting the vaccine when you're available to get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all. Have an amazing week. Woo-woo! Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week where Ashton and Rihanna will discuss the loving relationships in Picard. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, Star Trek Trivia, and the animated series. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worf's Revenge, is by Arillo Voltaire. What does Picard use to light a fire? The captain's log. <laughs>